it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls on down the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. Hey, everybody. This is Justin, your host of Tales of Red Arm podcast. Um, I'd like to thank you guys for hanging out once again for another wonderful chapter of Book Two, The Great Hunt, and we're doing Chapter Twenty Six, Discord, today. Um, this is going to be a fun little one because we got some history bumps, some description bumps, just a lot of little cool stuff I like about Robert Jordan's writing and his style. So, I guess uh, we'll do a quick. I guess, review of the previous chapter, chapter 25. And basically the end of chapter 25, uh, Rand went out to, you know, scour the foregate outside of uh, Kyrian's walls and accidentally stumbles in on Tom performing for a crowd of people. And Rand just loses his mind, essentially, and just is like, Tom's alive, Tom's alive. Well, guess what? Not much changes at the beginning of this episode. So, or this chapter. So, um, basically, Tom told them to meet him at the Bunch of Grapes, which is where he was staying, and whatnot. And Rand takes off. So now we're at chapter 26, and Rand goes flying into the Defender of the Dragon Wall, the inn he's staying at with uh, Huron and Loyal. And he's got such a grin on his face, the innkeeper gives him a startled look like, oh, what's going on? But Rand wants to grin at everybody. He's like, yeah, Tom's alive. Woo! He practically wants to shout it at the top of the roof and into all the loud announcements he can across all of Kyrian. Because he's, he's super giddy at this point. So he just blows through the doors into his room and goes up to the wardrobe. And Loyal and Huron pop their heads in from the other room. They're just like, what? And they're, you know, smoking their pipes and just sitting in their shirt sleeves. And Huron's kind of anxious and is like, well, has, has something happened, Lord Rand? And Rand's just got the bundle of Tom's uh, lute and harp and his Gleeman's cloak, uh, slings it over his shoulder, and he's like, you know, it's the best thing ever. Um, well, besides Ingtar showing up, but Tom Marilyn's alive, and he's here in Kyrian. And Loyal's like, wait, isn't that the Gleeman you mentioned? Ah, wonderful. I'd like to meet him. And Rand's like, well, then come with me. Uh, at least that is if Huron's willing to watch the the horn for a while and <laughs> this is a little blur about one small paragraph that i just wanted to, to read just because it has a lot of cool implications to it it'd be a pleasure lord rand here took the pipe out of his mouth that lot in the common room kept trying to pump me without letting on what they were doing of course about who you are my lord and why we're in Kyrian. i told them we were waiting here to meet friends being Kyrian, and they figured I was hiding something deeper. So, I may have mentioned it in the past. I, there's were too many episodes in. I don't remember every little detail of things I've said. It's much easier to remember what's in the book than it is what I've said about it. But, um, 
Kyrie and have always been in my head basically French Andor has been England um I should say for a predominant type of culture because Robert Jordan melted or mixed several cultures in to make each kind of culture in the series but they all have like a predominant like notorious one Andor leans heavily towards England Kyrie leads heavily towards France um not only in the style of clothing they wear but also how they act they're very sinister and political etc very much so like the you know medieval times and, and renaissance time period uh well to do nobles and merchants and highborn type of folks um but i've always that's how i've always pictured them and several other people have had the same conclusion but I'm not saying that it has to be exactly Carrion or French or anything. That's just the most closest to cultural group that I could think of. Um, but in this regard, it's interesting because we learned basically the Kyrian are trying to dig information out about Rand specifically. Like why they're there, what he's planning on to do while he's here. And then they're just assuming by default, you know, like, oh, we're just here to meet friends. And it's like, oh, he's, he's really deep. He's really deep in this guy's like, we gotta be keeping an eye on him. Like he's, he's in this really deep. And of course, Rand responds as you might expect, considering he's in such a good mood and he doesn't really care for the Kyrian and politics and such, mostly because he's literally not a Lord and he wouldn't know if he even if he was probably. Um, he's like, yeah, let them think what they want. Let's go, Loyal. And Loyal kind of sighs. It's like, well, I, I shouldn't. I, I'm, I'm going to stay here instead. I can always meet Tom Maryland some other time. Um, he's got a little, a little book. <laughs> he raises the book with his thick finger marking the place in it. And he's just like, ah, I'll just, I'll just read. And Rand's like, um, Loyal, you can't just stay here cooped up forever. Like, we don't know how long we're going to be here in Kyrian. We could be, <laughs> me just adding this, is like, we could be gone today, or we could be gone in a week or a month from now. Like, who knows? So, he's like, I didn't really see Neogear, so if we do, they're not going to, like, specifically be looking for you, are they? And well, he's like, ah, well, not really, Rand, but I, I, I kind of left setting Shanghai in a very hasty manner, and eventually when I go home, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble, um, even if I'm as old as Elder Haman. I could possibly find an abandoned setting to stay in until then. And in my head, I'm thinking like, well, yeah, but you guys jump from studying to studying to studying all the time. So seeing old settings probably wouldn't be too much of a step out of the way, I guess, to find that type of stuff. And, you know, hey, let's check on the old settings. And then, oh, look, it's loyal. <laughs> but um, you'd also be waiting for hundreds of years, so which is funny. And... Rand, of course, is just like, I'll play off of this. It's like, hey, if Elder Haman won't let you come back, 
you can live in the Edmonds Field. It's it's a pretty place. And of course, Rand's like, it's a beautiful, gorgeous, chopped-dead, amazing place. Because he's not biased at all. And Loyal's like, well, I'm sure it is, but that wouldn't work. And you see, he's about to go in and tell him, like, you know, Steading, Ogier, kind of have to have each other to do this. So even if he likes... Even if he likes the two rivers, it's not a guarantee that he would be able to stay there for a long time without having a setting nearby. And as of this point, Robert Jordan hasn't brought into any implications that there is a setting nearby. Um, now, I would guess it'd either be the one outside of Shader Logoth if it still exists. And or the one that um, Elias, Perrin, and Egwene get to, kind of in between the two rivers and Camelin, but it's a bit further north, I think. Um, and there's that, or possibly the one in Manetherin if it was still around, but you'd have to go over the mountains for that. So, a couple possibilities. Not a whole lot of realistic expectations but i think on the map you can see other steadings nearby and there might be one nearby but even then it's probably not going to be abandoned so anyway rand's like well whatever like we can talk more about this later again humans being hasty and we'll, we'll talk about it when we when we get there loyal but you're coming to see tom and this is the ironic part because Loyal stands half again as tall as Rand. And remember, Rand is already tall again. So Rand's probably seven foot something or really, really close to that range. Um, so Loyal's probably like 11 foot because it's like half of that on top of him. Um, and Rand kind of just pushes him into his, his, his coat and everything and gets him down the stairs so it's, it's almost like a comical scene where loyally this big guy is just like and just bumbling as Rand's like no no let's go come on come on <laughs> getting them all bundled down the stairs now i love this next part i'm going to read it the line just because it's great just the way it's written but there's implications to this so when they came pounding through the common room, Rand winked at the innkeeper, then laughed at his startled look. Let him think I'm off to play his bloody great game. Let him think what he wants. Tom's alive. So I just love this because they they come just flying down the stairs. Rand winks at the innkeeper, and that's guy who's kind of, I wouldn't say he's necessarily sleazy. However, he is definitely in someone's pay. <laughs> Who is it is? I don't know. But um, he basically just like absolutely confuses him because he Rand's acting totally different like from going, I'm not part of your great game to now being openly just like, hey, wink at you and leave. It's very confusing. And there's so many things now that the Kyrian and have to think about and the implication and there's a lot of them. I'm just going to throw out some 
that pop in my head as they pop in my head because they kind of just do it whenever they want. But him going and burning these other these couple letters from some smaller houses, probably some of the lower lowest houses, if not just lower than normal. Um, that's to make enemies, really. Um, now it could be that they think he's becoming allies or friends with their lords that are like bigger houses that they're a part of or something. Cause they're small houses that are part of big houses, basically minor houses and the, the main houses. And if he is friends with someone at a higher house, they don't want to anger that higher house. So they kind of have to be cautious and, keep an eye out and see basically what's going on and plan things before they make any actions. But his response coming down here and being like wink and then moving on could be seen as like, haha, I have some big friends now and just takes off. So now the innkeeper is startled. Possibly everybody else in the room who sees this is startled. And most of them probably have a different employer in some shape or form. Why would an employer send multiple of their people to the same place when they could just send one to each place and get all the information? But, and obviously when the, he, when he goes back to record with the guard at the gate where he's staying, which is the defender of the dragon wall, that list is going to get out to every major house and they're all going to send a person to this inn. So that inn's going to get a pretty decent amount of uh, income just from that. But you know for a fact that that innkeeper is going to be on someone's payroll because everybody's on somebody's payroll when it comes to the Kyrie and Game of Houses. So him coming down and just doing that one facial expression throws a whole bunch of stuff off and we'll get to it later on um probably not this episode i don't believe it happens yeah i believe it's the next chapter that rands in but just keep it tucked away in your mind because it'll come into play at some point and i don't know how many people read that line and you know or i said those line that line in his thoughts um and thought that same thing it didn't hit me the first couple times it didn't even really hit me until the last recent times so it's just a cool little section that adds a bit of depth for only being you know one main sentence and two well technically three thought sentences um it's a total of four and one of them being two words one of them being like six words they're not very long but just in that little piece, so many implications pop up from it. And you can call it, you know, we got to be skeptical or we got to be, you know, just guessing or whatever. Maybe, but it's just when you consider how the Kyrian and think, and we've already gone over, I think this last episode, um, how the Kyrian and think. And like, every time you say, I'm not part of the game, great game of houses, they're more convinced you're further into it. Because of that action, it's safe to say that something like the possibilities I mentioned were actually not that far off from the truth. Now, what does that have to mean in the grand scheme of things? 
just responses of nobility and whatnot and whether people tread carefully or people get angry send assassins burn the place to the ground start riots make enemies from other countries in this case the andor because everyone sees him as an andoran lord which is hilarious because he looks like the people that they're terrified of which is the ideal um but be that as it may just keep that tucked away so as they blow out of the uh, defender of the dragon wall um they head to the jangai gate on the east side of the city remember the city is a pretty much a square um, everything is blocked and pretty much positioned to be um, rigid. I think, you know, they're asking to find the bunch of grapes, and apparently everyone knows where it is, so they find it very quickly, which is convenient. And it's one of those things where you're just glad that Robert Jordan didn't write the entire walkway all the way there because it'd be like a whole book itself because he's really good with descriptions and I love him for it, but that would not be necessary. So thank God he didn't. Um, so Rand and loyal, you know, find themselves showing up in this street that seems oddly quiet for the four gate, but the sun's halfway down in the afternoon sky. So we can guess it's probably four or five in the afternoon just a guesstimate depending on what part of the year they are and everything and if the weather's acting normally which mm, your guess is as good as mine in that regard because it could be normal or it could be changing just at a slow pace um so bunch of grapes is a old three-story building that's wooden and rickety so it makes you think it's gonna probably fall apart in any moment but the common room is oddly clean for such an old building and especially in the foregate but it's also full of people and <laughs> this is where you get kind of a a strange sentence that I didn't know whether I should add it or not, but just to add context for the typical Kyrian and fashion of, I guess, recreation where, you know, guys sit in a corner playing dice and then women play darts in another. Um, I don't really remember ever seeing it ever be reversed, so it would be probably strange to see a woman playing dice. Don't know why but I don't see any other reason to add this line except to describe the differences between the two groups and what they prefer to do. The series is covered with men playing dice all over the place, so that seems normal. Darts aren't a thing we really see, but I can see that being the go-to if there's not much else to do for the women. Um... But it also shows that, you know, women, you know, go to taverns, inns, whatever you want to call them, just as much as the men do. Which is like, hey, egalitarianism. Woo! <laughs> but, um, it was just an odd thing that I saw, and I was like, well, that seems kind of strange that he would add that, but okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go with it, just for context of the Kyrian culture, I guess. But he also points out that half of them 
look like Kyrianen, you know, slight and pale, but then some of them have Andoran accents, but others have other accents he's not familiar with. Obviously, he's only been to a couple. He's been to Andor, Kyrian, and Shinar. Those are the three places he's been. He's been nowhere else. <laughs> so, I mean, he's been in the no man's land territory between Kyrian, Andor, and Shinar. But he hasn't, there's like no other country, so he doesn't know the other people's speech or anything. So, Kyrianen are slight and pale. So, they're kind of short, not like super short, but I would say the average tall Kyrianen would probably be like 5'5", five, five, maybe 5'6", five, on a good day. Where Andorans typically, you know, hit that six foot or higher. Like, they're just a little bit more normalized size, considering, you know, an England to a France. I don't think France has ever been, like, notoriously short or anything. I'm sure they've had a large variety of uh, sizes there, considering the Normans are pretty range. But I think they were pretty big back in the day. Um, but... For whatever reason, that's just how they're described. They're, you know, slight and pale. Um, but having hearing some Andorran accents and whatnot means there's a little bit different. And Andorran, every time, I just automatically translate it to England in my head. And it's just like having a whole bunch of people speaking with a French accent and then hearing an English accent. It's just kind of like, whoa, stands out. Um and being that they are neighboring countries, it's not abnormal to probably hear them next to each other because, like, having Kyrian uh, accents in Andor, Andor and accents in Kyrian, just because they're neighbors and they're not that far away. I mean, they're still like a little bit of a trek with a river in between, but it's not like super, super, super far away. Um,. But also, you have uh, these people being from the Foregate, so that could mean a lot of things. Because remember, the Foregate is where people who are mostly the farmers of the East uh, showed up because they didn't have farms, or that they did have farms, but they didn't want to go to those places because of Aiel. So the terrible Aiel terrified them so much that they wouldn't go near the the spine of the world again. So all these folks are wearing the clothes of the foregate. So one way or the other, you've got outlanders living here. And then you've got even some of the locals living here because the city is filled up or if it's not filled up, they have requirements on what, whether you can or cannot live there probably due to nobility. So basically the main city is like a gated community for the rich folks who hold prestige and power. And the outside is, kind of the, I don't want to say slums or the ghetto, but it's more of a uh, non-wealth-based community that is typically happier and has more fun while also probably sustaining a bit more crime and whatnot than the gated community with guards patrolling everything and people are more serious and are paid by someone to do something and they know that they can get screwed royally if they do anything stupid so probably don't have quite as much fun inside the, the city of Kyrian. but um there's a bunch of different styles 
from a half a dozen countries in the room as well, but most of them are four gay style. Um, once they walk in, everybody kind of like looks over and just looks away like, oh, new people. But this one's also interesting. So the innkeeper was a woman with hair as white as Tom's and sharp eyes that studied loyal as well as Rand. She was not Kyrianan by her dark skin and her speech. So I like to make a point of the cultures being different because that's what makes the world of Robert Jordan and the Wheel of Time so cool is that there are so many different cultures and different groups of people from different places that make them different. You know, it's that natural diversity that just makes it feel like a well-described world built world. And <laughs> I, because I think of it from the England and the French perspective, it makes sense that they don't like each other on some time, some occasions because the French and the English didn't like each other on many occasions. And Part of me wonders if Robert Jordan did this kind of unconsciously, or maybe he did consciously, but I, I'd like to think he probably did it unconsciously, just thinking about how these two countries deal with things, because there are several countries that don't like other countries due to the nature of the fact that they're different, which is reasonable considering history. Um, Tyr and Ilion are always duking it out, and they just don't like each other. Um, Aradaman and uh, Terabon always going at it because they're fighting over ter uh, territory in between them. And there's just all these things where it, it makes sense that they are different because if they weren't different, then they'd be the same. If they were the same, why would they bother fighting each other? Why would they even have different countries? Why, why wouldn't they just be under the same person and be like, we're all the same? Which obviously would make a terribly boring and droll warfare. <laughs> but um, it's interesting because this shows that people do show up in other countries and move there. But they're also identified as not the person that is a local. They are somebody from somewhere else. But it doesn't mean they can't, you know, own a business. In this case, uh, Zara, which we'll learn about her later on um as, as i should say get her named later on but her name's zara um she's got very white hair but is very dark skin and i should say very dark skin she has dark skin comparative to the slight and pale kyrianan um but her speech pulls her from somewhere now, unfortunately, it doesn't tell us where. My guess is Giladon, but that's only because of a quote she says later on, and the only reason she would make that quote, which I'll get to that later on, but the only reason she said the quote is because that's where she might be from. Um, but unfortunately, there's not a whole lot because she seems like a cool character, and I was like, well, this this be fun. Um, but then she, you know, like they ask her, the innkeeper. A, a, you know, where Tom, if Tom Marilyn has a room here, and if so, where? And he's like, oh, yeah, he has a room. Go to the top of the stairs, first door on the right. And points out that uh, someone named Dina 
will probably let you wait for him there. And then she looks at Rand's coat, and you got the herons and the high collar and the golden brambles on the sleeves, and obviously a sword. And he's like, my lord, you know, that belated addition <laughs> of the title. So Rand, you know, starts heading up the stairs, and it creaks under his boots. I'm just like, imagine Loyal's. <laughs> Loyal weighs a lot more than Rand. And he's going to probably crush through one of these eventually. Rand's like, man, is this building going to stay up much longer? But he finds the door. I mean, it's hard to miss. You go to the top of the stairs and look at the first door on the right. Um, and, you know, he finds the door, knocks, and he's trying to figure out, like, who's this Dina that the innkeeper mentioned? And a woman's voice responds with, you know, come in, I can't open it for you. So Rand opens the door very cautiously, pops his head in, and we get the description of furniture and everything i'm not going to go into that because it's robert jordan you're supposed to read it anyway <laughs> um but it's it's still good and there's a slender woman sitting cross-legged on the bed with her you know skirts tucked under her and she's maneuvering six colored balls in a giant wheel in her hands and um she's still just staring at the balls juggling and she just offhandedly comments to Rand, like, oh, whatever it is, just leave it on the table. Tom will pay you back when he comes home. And Rand's like, are you Dina? <laughs> so, of course, she's in the middle of doing her little routine, and she just, like, snatches them all out of the air. And uh, curious note, she's only a handful of years older than him, Rand. Pretty, with fair Kyrian in his skin, and dark hair hanging loose to her shoulders. Um, so more references. I don't know why all these references to fair Kyrian skin are necessary considering we just established that they're slight and pale, but I guess he's, he has a purpose for, for whatever reason, but as for description, it explains to us, you know, she's got really dark hair and very pale skin and it hangs loose to her shoulders. So that gives you kind of an idea it's not a bob, but it's probably a little bit longer than a bob, just enough to touch the shoulders. Um, a little bit more than what you expect from a Karen, I guess. <laughs> um, but she's not that much older than Rand, which says something when you consider Tom's age. Like, why are you hanging around with such an old fart? And she's like, well, I don't really know you, but this is my room. Mine and Tom Maryland's. <laughs> Pointing that out. Um, and Rand is like, well, the innkeeper said you might let us wait for Tom if you're Dina. And she, of course, is like, us? What, you got a mouse in your pocket? So Rand moves into the room, and then Loyal ducks inside, and <laughs> her eyebrows pretty much touch the ceiling of the roof or of the room and she's like well so the ogre have come back i'm dina what do you want and she just looks at rand's coat on purpose ignores all what you consider proper protocol and refuses to add my lord on purpose but then she's you know her eyebrows 
touch the ceiling even more. You'd think that her eyebrows are making out with the ceiling at this point because of the herons on his scabbard and sword hilt. So Ran, you know, holds up the bundle with Tom's flute and Tom's harp in it. And he's like, oh, well, I brought back his Tom's harp and flute and I just wanted to visit with him. And I haven't got to see him in a long time. And he adds that kind of extra swiftly because it appears that she's about to say like, okay, drop it and get out. Now, why is she so hostile? I'm not really sure. Um, maybe she's just a very possessive lady. I don't know. Um, but you know, she looks at the bundle and it's like, well, Tom is always moaning about losing the best flute and harp he ever had. And, psh, you'd think he was a court bard or something the way he goes on about it. Ironically about that. <laughs> um, and she's like, okay, well, whatever you can wait, but I got to practice. Tom said he's going to let me perform in the halls next week. So she gets up gracefully, takes one of the chairs, motions Lil to sit on the bed, and he's like, eh, is there to make Tom pay for the six chairs if he broke one of these friendo gear? Which is nice that she's nice to Loyal, but not necessarily nice to Rand. So at least Loyal gets everyone that's nice to him. Except for those who think he's a trollic. So Rand, you know gives their names, sits in the other chair, and he's surprised it creaks under just his weight. And then he's like doubtful or skeptical of the fact, but he asks anyway. He's like, well, are you are you Tom's apprentice? And Dina gives a, s a small smile. He's like, eh, you could say that. But then she starts juggling and she just looks at the, the whirling balls, I guess. That she's juggling. And Loyal says something that I thought was hilarious. Because I never picked up on this. He's like, I've never heard of a woman gleaming before. Loyal says. And it's just like... Whoa. There's never been a female gleaming in the entirety of... Like, the history of the world at this point. At least as they know it in the last 3,000 years. And... Dina seems to be like proud of this and everything she's like well i'm gonna be the first and then that big circle becomes too smaller that they overlap and it's i i gotta say i i'd be impressed just because i can juggle basic like a couple balls and i think three balls is about what i what i could safely do i should say um but i wouldn't be able to do smaller circles that overlap or anything i'm not that fancy i can do one or i can do two balls in one hand the three balls in two hands uh, not not very good on top of that but dina continues on with you know i'm gonna see the whole world before i'm done and you know when we have when we have enough money tom says we can go down to tier i don't know why you want to go down to tier but sure um and now she's juggling just three balls in each hand separately and she also adds they might go to the Seafolk Islands where the Atha and Mier pay very well for Gleeman to perform and do things there. I'm assuming because they live on an island and probably don't get a whole lot of entertainment. It's also kind of hard for Gleeman to get there, so not just an easy travel. But Ryan takes a glance at the room and is like, there's a lot going on in here. 
but there's a single bed. Loyal sitting on it. And he remembers what she said. This is my room, mine and Tom Marilyn's. Now, aside from this, and the look that Dina's giving him, you know, challenging him to be like, oh, I'm, I'm his apprentice. I'm more than his apprentice. Where Rand's like, this room's set up to like, long time living here, not somebody who's like, gonna get up and move to another country on just, you know, tip of a hat. But even when Dina's challenging him while she's juggling, Rand's face just lights up red. And he clears his throat. He's like, oh, well, maybe we should stay downstairs and wait for Tom. And then the door opens up and Tom saunters in. And he's got his cloak, you know, billowing behind his ankles. And uh, patches are fluttering. And he's got his flute and harp cases hung on his back and they're of a reddish wood polished just from handling and stuff but Dina you know makes all the balls disappear into her dress and runs over and jumps at Tom's neck and wraps her arms around him and gotta stand on her tiptoes to do it so Tom's either moderately tall or she's short <laughs> could be both um and she's like, oh, I missed you. And then kisses him. And then that awkward moment where the kiss just keeps going and going and going. And you're just like, all right, uh, Loyal, maybe we should maybe we should leave. And then Dina, you know, pulls back and drops to her heels to the floor and gives a sigh. Tom, without even like, like what what happened that Rand and Loyal had to like go through and like be witness to Tom just ignores like it even happened he's like do you know what the, the lackwit Segan's done now girl he's taken on a pack of louts who call themselves players now, I'd like to point out players may sound somewhat familiar to you because it's essentially just theater actors now keep in mind at this point theater was not a thing like st telling stories in a like elaborate ways like gleam and tell and whatnot the that's been around it's been around the bend through and back again but theater itself no not a thing so it's it's funny how he's going on and it's like they're they're walking around pretending to be rogash or rogash eagle eye and blaze and guidel Kane and ah you know he describes basically how they have the setup with the canvas behind them and then probably dressing up and playing the parts and whatnot. But then he says something which I almost wonder, maybe Robert Jordan did a self-insert here for this. He might not have intended to, but I'd like to think he did just because it, it sounds funny that way. And Tom's always like, I make the listener see every banner, smell every battle, feel every emotion. I make them believe they are Gattle Kane. <laughs> Which is basically what you'd expect from like when you read Robert Jordan, Robert Jordan's works, he can describe things in such a way where you can you can see every banner, you can smell every battle, you can feel all the emotions. And to some extent he can make you think you're a character. 
Though that's my least favorite theory of that because I've never liked the fact the fact that people think they are a character rather than you know reading about a character that did exist because i like to think of it of more of a history rather than a autobiography <laughs> of the person who's reading but you know tom goes on about these players and whatnot and it's he completely just ignoring the fact that there's a ginormous ogier sitting on his bed with some other rambunctious tall fellow in the room as well and dina points out it's like well we have visitors tom and <laughs> the introductions are great loyal son of Arent, son of holland very polite very courteous intro and then oh and a boy who calls himself randall thor <laughs> it's just like pointedly not adding my lord or any of that type of stuff just obviously leaving that out and Tom looks over at Rand, frowns, and is like, uh, leave us for a bit, Dina, here, and gives her some silver and says, your knives are ready, go pay Ivone for them. And he brushes her a smooth cheek with a gnarled knuckle, because he's old. And he's like, go on, I'll make it up to you. So, of course, she gives him a dark look, because maybe she thinks she's getting replaced or something. I don't really know what, what could possibly be going on in her head right now. But, you know, she throws the cloak on and, you know, mutters you know, as she leaves, you know, I better have the balance right. And Tom, you know, has this note of pride when he mentions, like, you know, she's going to be a bard one day. Listens to a tale once, only once. And she has it exactly right. Not just the words, but every nuance, every rhythm. And she has a fine hand on the harp and she played the flute better than the first time she picked it up than you ever did. But he sets down his wooden instrument cases and drops a new chair that she had left. Then he, he recalls when he had passed through Camelin on the way to, to Kyrian and Basil Gill pretty much told him that he had left in the company with an ogier, among others. <laughs> and he bows to Loyal and gets a bit of a flourish. Um from the way he was sitting. He's like, pleased to meet you, loyal son of Arnt, son of Alan. And loyal's just like, oh, well, I'm also pleased to meet you, Tom Marilyn. But then he repeats something he said earlier. It's like, the young woman said she wants to be a gleeman. <laughs> it's like, loyal just cannot get over this fact. It's like, wait, she said she's going to be the first female gleeman. Did you know that she wants to be the gleeman? Which obviously he knows, but he just isn't particularly happy and tom's like that's no life for a woman not even much of a life for a man for that wandering from town to town village to village wondering when they'll try to cheat you this time half the time wondering where your next meal is going to show up from uh, no I'll, I'll i'll talk her out of it she could be a court bard to a king or a queen before she's done but uh you didn't come here to talk about dana my instruments boy you've brought them and Rand grabs the bundle and, you know, pushes across the table. And Tom grabs it eagerly and undoes it. And he blinks when he sees his old cloak that has all the colorful patches and everything, like the one he wore. But then he opens the hard leather flute case, nodding at the sight of the gold and silver flute nestled inside. Rand's like, by the way, you know, Matt and I, we, were, we earned our bed and meals after we parted with that. 
Liam's like, I know I stopped at the same in or some of the same ends, but I had to make do with juggling and a couple simple stories since you had my, uh, wait, you didn't touch the harp. Did you? And he pulls out the other dark leather case and pulls out the gold and silver harp as ornate as the flute cradles it in his hands like a baby. It's like a clumsy sheep or fingers are never meant for the harp. And he's like, oh, no, 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 I, did, I didn't touch it. And then Tom plucks two strings, then winces, and he's like, well, at least you weren't full enough to try keeping it tuned. Could have ruined it. But then Rand leans across, and he's like, Tom, but you wanted to go to Ilian to see the Great Hunt set out and be one of the first to make new stories about it. But you couldn't. What would you say if I told you you could still be a part of it? A big part. Loyal's just like, uh, are you sure, Rand? And Rand just kind of waves him silence, still looking at Tom. Tom glances at Loyal and kind of frowns. He's like, well, that would depend on what part and how. And if you've reason to believe one of the hunters is heading this direction, I suppose they could have left Ilion already. But it'd be weeks here if he reached here, if he tried to ride straight on the entire way. But why would he? Just one of the fellows who never went to Ilion? He won't make it to the stories without the blessing whatever he does. I'm going to read this part. It doesn't matter if the hunt has left Ilion or not. Rand heard Loyal's breath catch. Tom, we have the Horn of Valir. For a moment, there was dead silence. Tom broke it with a great guffaw of laughter. You two have the horn. A shepherd and a beardless ogre have the horn of... He doubled over, pounding his knee. The horn of Valir. But we do have it, Loyal said seriously. Tom drew a deep breath. Small aftershocks of laughter still seemed to catch him unaware. I don't know what you found, but I could take you to ten taverns where a fellow would tell you he knows a man who's knows the man who's already found the horn. And he will tell you how it was found, too. As long as you buy his ale. I can take you to three men who will sell you the horn. And swear their souls under the light. It's the real one and true. There's even a lord in the city. Has what claims is the horn locked up and inside of his manor. He says it's a treasure handed down in his house since the breaking. I don't know if the hunters will ever find the horn, but they will hunt down 10,000 lies along the way. Moraine says it's the horn, Rand said. Tom's mirth was cut short. She does, does she? I thought you said she was not with you. She isn't, Tom. I have not seen her since I left Faldara in Shinar. And for a month before that, she said no more than two words together to me. He could not keep the bitterness out of his voice. She did talk. I wish she'd kept on ignoring me. I'll never dance on her tune again. The light burn her and every other Aes Sedai. No, not Egwene. Not Nynaeve. He was conscious of Tom watching him closely. She isn't here, Tom. I don't know where she is, and I don't care. 
Well, at least you have sense enough to keep it secret. If you hadn't, it'd be all over the foregate by now, and half of Kyrian would be lying in wait to take it away. Half the world. Oh, we've kept it secret, Tom. And I have to bring it back to Faldaro without Dark Friends or anyone else taking it away. That's story enough for you right there, isn't it? I could use a friend who knows the world. You've been everywhere. You know things I can't even imagine. Loyal and Huron know more than I do, but we're all three floundering in deep water. Huron? No, don't tell me now. I don't want to know. The Gleeman pushed back his chair and went to stare out the window. The Horn of Alir. That means the last battle is coming. Who will notice? Did you see the people laughing in the streets out there? Let the grain barges stop a week, and they won't laugh. Galdrian will think they've become Aiel. The nobles all play the game of houses, scheming to get close to the king, scheming to gain more power than the king, scheming to pull down Galdrian and be the next king. Or queen. They will think Tom and Gaiden is only a ploy in the game. He turned away from the window. I don't suppose you are talking about simply riding to Shinar and handing the horn to... Who? The king? Why Shinar? The legends all tie the horn to Ilion. Rand looked at Loyal. The ogre's ears were sagging. Shinar, because I know who to give it to, there. And there are Trollocs and Dark Friends after us. Why does that not surprise me? No, I may be an old fool, but I will be an old fool in my own way. You take the glory, boy. Tom, no! So, what I prefer about this little section, or like, I guess, is we get the little snippets of the hunt for the horn, which go figure the title is called The Great Hunt. Um, it's not necessarily the hunt for the horn, so to speak. But it is the great hunt for the horn, I guess. <laughs> it's not the great hunt of for the horn of Alir. That's like the Ilioner one because they're not in Ilion. Um, they're not starting out to go find it. They already have it. They already found it. But um, the fact that no one believes if somebody else says they have it for obvious reasons because it's like go on the street you see a thousand uh, Horn of Alliers on sale for every kind of person or people saying, claiming they have it locked in their basement or whatever in their manor. But Tom doesn't even believe them until Loyal kind of keeps him serious. But then the final thing that actually like gets his attention is that Moraine says it's the horn. And Tom has his own feelings about Moraine, <laughs> as he saw the last chapter. Um, but he explained explaining the whole thing to like Shinar and knowing who to trust and 
this, that, the other, I guess. <laughs> um, Rand's trying to convince him, like, hey, come along. Make a legend. Be the legend that, you know, helped secure the Horn of Valir and stuff like that. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to be a fool in my own, an old fool in my own way. And telling Rand to take the glory. He's like, but, but Tom is like, no, he's like, no, I just, I didn't want it. Now, with Tom, you know, shouting no, there's this awkward silence that just only gets disrupted by Loyal shifting probably uneasily on the bed and hearing it creak a little bit. But then Rand's like, hey, Loyal, could you leave us alone for a minute? And Loyal's like, what? Oh, oh, okay. And it's like, well, there's a dice game going in the common room. Maybe I'll go play with them. And Tom's eyeing Rand with suspicion as Loyal leaves. And go figure, I'm going to read this part because I can't miss this part. Rand hesitated. There were things he needed to know. Things he was sure Tom knew. The Gleeman had once seemed to know a great deal about a surprising number of things. But he was not sure how to ask. Tom, he said at last, are there any books that have the Carithian cycle in them? Easier to call it that than the prophecies of the dragon. In the great libraries... Tom said slowly. Many number of translations, and even in the old tongue, here and there. Rand started to ask if there was any way for him to find one, but the gleeman went on. The old tongue has music in it, but too many, even of the nobles, are impatient with listening to it these days. Nobles are all expected to know the old tongue, but many only learn enough to impress people who don't. Translations don't have the same sound, unless they're in high chant, and sometimes the, that changes meanings even more than most translations. There is one verse in the cycle, and it doesn't scan well, translated word for word, but there's no meaning lost. It goes like this. Twice and twice shall he be marked, twice to live and twice to die. Once the heron to set his path, twice the heron to name him true. Once the dragon for remembrance lost, twice the dragon for the price he must pay. He reached out and touched the heron's embroidered on Rand's high collar. For a moment, Rand could only gape at him, and when he could speak, his voice was unsteady. The sword makes five. Hilt, scabbard, and blade. He turned his hand down on the table, hiding the brand on his palm. For the first time since Selene's salve had done its work, he could feel it. Not hurting, but knew it was there. So they do. Tom barked a laugh. There's another comes to mind. Twice dawns the day when his blood is shed. Once for mourning, 
once for birth. Red on black, the dragon's blood stains the rock of Shaelgul. In the pit of doom shall his blood free men from the shadow. Rand shook his head, denying, but Tom seemed not to notice. I don't see how a day can dawn twice, but then a lot of it doesn't really make much sense. The Stone of Tear will never fall till Kalandor is wielded by a dragon reborn. But the sword that cannot be touched lies in the heart of the stone. So how can you wield it first, eh? Well, be as it is may, I suspect Aes Sedai would want to make events fit the prophecies as closely as they can. Dying somewhere in the Blasted Lands would be a high price to pay for going along with them. So I like this little bit, one, because Tom, you know, doing his gleeman chants and stuff and the, the high chant and all that jazz. It's, uh, I want to be there. I want to, I want to hear him do it. It's, it'd be great to sit on, but we also learn, you know, the history of the Corinthian cycle. And we even learn that, you know, nobles can learn the old tongue, but most are too impatient to do so. And. Some only learn enough to basically tell people that don't know the old tongue, you know, something that they might impress them with. Like, oh, look at me, I'm knowledgeable of the old tongue. And maybe that gives them a little bit of extra power over somebody else. Like, well, I understand it and you don't, so obviously that makes me better than you. Therefore, I should be higher in power than you. And then, you know, that's how you get minor houses versus the greater houses. But just the whole theme and everything it's it's cool but it's also tying in and Rand's like soaking this in at the same time it's just like these kind of things he's picking up on tom's not seeming to pick it up on them but that's basically what's going on so after this wonderful fantastically amazingly well done performance <laughs> um without even trying i might add Rand's trying to like keep his voice calm. He's like, "Well, no, but no, I said I was going to use me for anything." And you know, remember I said I last saw Moraine Shinar. She said I could go wherever I wanted, and I left. And he's like, "There's no, I said I with you right now. Like none, at all." It's like none. Tom, you know, does his classic knuckling of his dangling mustaches, but he seems pretty satisfied. Also confused he's like then why are you asking about the prophecy why send the ogier out of the room and i was like uh trying to think of something to say he's like well i didn't want to upset him he's nervous enough about the horn and that's why i wanted to ask you know is the horn mentioned in you know the prophecies and he couldn't make himself pretty much say it completely but he's like well with all these false dragons and now the horn is found everyone thinks the horn of valir is Supposed to summon dead heroes to fight the Dark One in the last battle, and the you know Dragon Reborn is supposed to fight the Dark One in the last battle. It seemed natural enough to ask. And Tom's, of course, like you know, well, I guess so, but you know, not everyone knows the Dragon Reborn is supposed to fight the last battle. But if they do, they think he'll fight along the side of the Dark One. Not many read the prophecies to find out. What was it that you said about the horn? Supposed to. Rand, you know, fills in Tom about, you know, some little details that he's learned 
since you know obviously going up to Shinar and being with Morin and everything about how you know pretty much the heroes are supposed to come for whoever blows the horn even if it's a dark one or not dark one <laughs> sorry a dark friend and <laughs> this time it's Tom's turn for his eyebrows to make out with the ceiling uh, <laughs> it's like well I didn't know that wow that's a few things you have learned a few things and you know Rand's like well it doesn't mean I let the white tower use me for a false dragon I don't want anything to do with that to die false dragons with the power or anything he bites his tongue he's like oh get mad and start babbling you like a fool and Tom's like well you know for a time I thought you were the one Moraine wanted and I even thought I knew why you know, no one chooses to channel the power. It's just something that happens to them, like a disease. You can't blame a man for falling sick, even if it might kill you too. Which is one of those weird analogies that you don't think about. But it's one of those, like, it's it's a good analogy about it. It's like, if a guy's born, has the ability to channel Saiyadeen, it's not his fault. He didn't ask for it. He didn't beg to keep it. He doesn't even necessarily want to use it or touch it. It's something that's forced upon him by the pattern. And through that, he gets treated like trash. He will eventually start, you know, talking to himself or going mad in some shape or form of insanity. Before either intentionally killing himself or harming those around him and that kind of thing it's just it it's devastating to those that have to go through it and possibly the loved ones that don't think they're psychopathic but can you know kind of live with the fact that you know th their loved one is someone who's going to go crazy at some point but Rand, you know, references like, well, it's like your nephew could channel, right? Like you said, you that was the why you helped us because your your nephew had trouble with the White Tower and there's nobody to help him. And there's only one kind of trouble men can have with that I. You know, Tom looks at the table and uh, I don't know if there's any use to denying it, but it's not something that man likes to talk about. You understand? Having a relative of who could channel it's a man. He's like, the Red Dodge never even gave Owen a chance. They gentled him and then he died. He just gave up wanting to live. So, I don't recall if we've already talked about this or not, but it kind of comes up a lot throughout the series. So. But uh, for women, if you cut them off from the sor the, the one power, the, the true source, and uh, side R, it's called stilling. If it's a man being cut off from Sidene, the one power of the true source, it's called gentling. So they gentle him, cut him off from the source, and then he dies. He just gives up wanting to live. So this is that kind of instance where, if you recall recently, when we had um, Egwene meeting Elaine and having all the friends and everything, and they, you know, they run into Loghain in the tower 
how his behavior is him just basically not caring anymore. Like he's just, he feels like a husk of what he was, even though he was a large guy, very, not, I don't want to say menacing. I mean, I guess to some extent he could be considered menacing, but he's imposing of a figure, but now he's got the appearance of like a withered husk because he just doesn't care. Like apathy replaced his ability to channel. Um, and then Rand, of course, at the thought of this, you know, kind of shivers and he's like, well, why doesn't, why didn't Moraine try to do that to me? When he also kind of expounds upon what Tam, Tom was saying, he's like, well, are you saying that there's a chance the way he could have dealt with it, not gone mad or died? And Tom's like, well, Owen basically held it off for about three years, didn't hurt anyone, but he never used the power unless he absolutely had to. And that was only to help his village, but not really much of a choice. Um, people where he lived told me he was acting strange the last year and didn't really want to talk about that much, but they practically stoned me to death because I was his uncle and that's what they found out. But maybe he was going mad, but ugh, by my blood, he's... He's family, and I can't love the Aes Sedai for what they did to him, even if they really had to. But if Moraine's let you go, you're better off that way. So Rand sits there in silence for a second. And he's thinking, of course there's not a way to deal with it. You're just going to go mad or whatever, but what Balsamon said. And he's like, no! But then he kind of like blushes under Tom's eyes. sight. <laughs> And, uh, he's like, well, I mean, I'm, I am out of it, but I still have to get the Horn of Valir up there. And it's like, think about it. Like it's the Horn of Valir. I mean, other Gleeman might tell tales about it, but you could say you actually had it in your hands, but then he kind of realized he sounded like Celine, but he just, instead of wondering, like, should I change what I'm saying? He's like, oh, I wonder where she is. It's like, well, there's nobody I'd rather have with us than you, Tom. And Tom, like, hesitates. Like, he wants to. He really, like, wants to. But he's not sure enough to keep going with that. So he's like, well, I like you enough. But, you know, uh, the reason I helped you is because you're, you're mixed up with Aes Sedai and whatnot. And the guy Sagan not working for now doesn't try to cheat me more than I expect. And with you know, the king's gift added in, and I couldn't earn this much in the villages. And to my very great surprise, Dina, for whatever reason, seems to love me. And as much of a surprise as that, I return the feeling. Like, why would I leave that to be chased by Trollocs and Dark Friends? The Horn of Valir? I mean, yeah, it's a temptation, I'll admit, but no, I'm not going to get mixed up in anything like that again. So he leans over one of the instrument cases, long and narrow, and he opens it, and Inside's a plainly made flute mounted with silver. And he closes it and slides it across the table. And he's like, eh, you might need to earn your supper again someday, boy. So Rand's like, yeah, I might at that. At least we could talk. I'll be. And Tom shakes his head and he's like, hey, a clean break is best. If you're always coming around, even if you never mention it, I won't be able to get the horn out of my head and I won't be tangled in it. I'm not going to. I refuse. So then Rand leaves, and Tom throws his cloak on the bed and sits with his elbows on the table. 
thinking in his head. The horn of a leer. How did the farm boy, farm boy find? But he shuts off the line of thought. And he's like, think about the horn too long and he would find himself running off with Rand to carry it to Shinar. That would make a story, carrying the horn of Valir to the borderlands with Trollocs and Darkfriends pursuing. Then he scowls and reminds himself of Dina, and even if she had not loved him, talents such as her were not very common. And she did love, but not really sure why. And he mutters, you know, old fool. And then Zara, the innkeeper, shows up saying, I, an old fool. And he gives a start, and he'd been absorbed in his thoughts that he hadn't really heard the door open. And he had known Zara for years, back and forth, when he was wandering around. And she'd always taken full advantage of the friendship to speak her mind. So she speaks, you know, like, you're an old fool who plays the game houses again. And unless my ears are failing, the young lord is the sound of Andor's tongue. He's no Kyrian. And that's for sure. This day tomorrow is dangerous enough without letting an outland lord mix you in his schemes. Now, I'd like to point out this one. He's like, I heard the sound of Andor. He has a particular sound to his tongue, so his accent or whatever differentiates him from other people, just like Zara is differentiated from Kyrian, and, and Kyrian are differentiated from Andor. I mean, I probably didn't point it out earlier, but I probably should have. was when... Rand heard people talking. He heard a variety of voices, not like one of them being Andor, which is different than Kyrian. So they're going to have a little different. So I like to think of it as like Pip Pip Cheerio versus like Wee Wee Mazu, Le Thank You for Coming. Like, have that. I can't, I can't really do it off the top of my head. I have to have like a line list do or something. Um, but that really thick French accent versus the posh English kind of sound. Like, that's. That's what I would like base my thoughts of how the different accents sound amongst them and what makes them so different and unique from each other. But even at this point, the person who's a foreigner in Kyrian, which presumably is a foreigner of Andor as well, um, so not native to either of these two countries, notices the difference. But then, you know, Tom's like, I mean, looking at Rand when he had come in, he had been wearing a very, very fine coat. Definitely easily something that a lord would wear. And he's, he's kind of like kicking himself with being old, too old and letting things like that slip by. But then he kind of like stops and he wants to tell Zero the truth, but he's not sure if he just wants to let her continue thinking the way she does. Like, all it takes to think about the great game, and I start playing it. So he just tells the truth. like, hey, the boy's just a shepherd, Zero, and he's from the two rivers. But of course she doesn't believe him, which she's practically Kyran at this point anyway, because it's like, and I'm the queen of Giladon. I tell you, the game has grown dangerous in Kyran the last couple of years, and Nothing like what you knew in Camelin. There are murders done now. You'll have your throat cut for you if you don't watch out and be careful. Now, I'd like to point out this is that phrasing that was reminding me. She says, I'm the queen of Gildon. So maybe she's from Gildon, which is south of the two rivers. So not too far from where Rand grew up. 
So it's possible that Giladon are a bit darker. I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head all the different details about it, but I'm sure when we go further in the series and we run across more Deacon Giladon, we'll get some more descriptions of them. So if you want to make note of that, make note of that. But that's just the phrase that made me think that she's Giladon. Maybe she's from somewhere else. That'd be fine too, but... Why would anybody from anywhere else, like Altara or M Mirandi or something, say, oh yeah, and I'm the Queen of Giladon? Like, you'd, you'd pick something that you're more familiar with, so... That's why I was thinking it. But Tom's, like, assure, trying to assure us, like, no, I'm not in the great game any longer. That was all 20 years in the past, at least. And she's like, uh-huh, sure, sure, whatever you say. But... Even if that's the case, and, you know, the young outlet lord aside, you've been, you know, performing at Lord's Manors. And Tom's like, they pay well. It's a lord, what do you expect? And she's like, well, of course they do, but they'll pull you into their plots as soon as they can see a way to do it. And all they see is a man, they gotta use him, and, and that's what they do naturally is breathing. But this young lord of yours won't help you, they'll eat him alive. But then she gave up convincing her or trying to convince her to, that he's just a shepherd and he's like okay but is that what you came up to say and then she's like well forget about the great game tom just marry dina she'll take you the more full her bony and white-haired as you are marry her and forget this young lord and the great game deus de mar <laughs> tom's like i thank you for the advice very very dryly but then he has this thought, he's like, marry her? Burden her with an old husband? She'll never be a bard with my past hanging around her neck. And it's just this weird phrase where he's, like, really thinking about her, but also, like, what what would I benefit her? Like, my past would prevent her from ever being able to enter a court, because, obviously, he's still wanted in Andor. Um... But that's another story for another time. So it's one of those things where it's like, I mean, why would I burden this young 20, early, early 20 something girl with probably 70 plus, <laughs> I'd say probably 60, 70s, um, old man. And she'll, she'll, deserve better but than this so like I, I don't think I could even do that to her but then in vocally he tells Zara like well if you don't mind I'd, I don't want to be all alone for a bit I gotta perform for Lady Erlen and her guests tonight and I gotta prep for that so she snorts shakes her head and bangs the door shut behind her but then Tom you know thumbs the, the table and coat or no coat rans just a shepherd and if he had been more if he had been what tom once suspected a man who could channel neither moraine nor any other acid i would have ever let him walk away ungentled horn or no horn that boy's only a shepherd and this last line is really really good it's a very good cliffhanger he is out of it he said aloud and so am i well that ends chapter 26 discord what did you guys think? Did you 
like it? Do you think it's too much? Not enough happening, but a lot of dialogue, a lot of detail, but not a whole lot going on, you think? Or you think it's setting up for a new plot? Do you think it's going to be something that's going to kind of fall to the side and not much will come of it? I don't know. I'm eager to hear what you guys think for if you're new if you're a vet obviously you already know the answer <laughs> but um yeah I'd, I'd love to hear from you guys and um it's truly fun knowing that somebody out there actually listens to the podcast because it's obviously not the highest production <laughs> podcast because i like to think keeping it raw and keeping it real is more fun i mean there's minor editing in order to make sure everything fits together right but it's I, i'm not really fond of editing myself so <laughs> i do only what is necessary to make it sound moderately good um but yeah if you guys are ever have a question or something and want to ask it go ahead and ask it you can contact me at uh gmail for the podcast just tales of a red arm at gmail.com or you can reach out to me on Twitter, which is at Tales of a Red Arm, or on Facebook, which is just Tales of a Red Arm. And um, you can have a link to share through uh, anchor.fm slash Tales of a Red Arm that you can give to your friends and whatnot. Um, still have the Discord. If you guys want a link to it, it should be on both the Twitter and the Facebook pages. Um would love to build up the community there and interact with you guys, but um, I'd love to hear your questions or hear your complaints about how my voices suck or something of that nature. I don't know. I, I just like to hear from you guys and interact with you. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys did enjoy this episode and this chapter specifically more so than me because we're all here for the books, including me. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Go ahead and give a shout out to me through one of the various ways to contact me and love to get a chance to talk to you or answer questions on a podcast live for you or something. And hopefully you guys will join me next time for chapter 27 and see where this story goes, if it goes anywhere. So thanks everybody for hanging out and we'll see you again next time. Drink all night and dance all day, and on the girls will spend our pay. And when we're done, then we'll awake to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and snuggle the girls be they short or tall. Then follow young Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and snuggle the girls be they short or tall. Then follow Lord Matt. Wherever he calls to dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hug the maids, it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark woods first To dance with Jack of the Shadows yeah. Yeah.